Right. Stephen Seon, welcome to the show. What's going on? Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. So, tell us a little bit about what you do, mate. So, you've got a beautiful, beautiful gym here. You work with some BJJ athletes. I do, yes. What, what, what got you started into that, mate? Uh, so, basically, um, I've been a PT now for about 15 years. And yeah. um, getting into the industry, I worked a lot with corporate men. And um, I started to develop a passion for combat sports. And then from moving into combat sports, I started to notice that um, a lot of guys were reaching out to me with pre-existing injuries. Yeah. And I got injured myself when I started delving into the sport. And I realized that um, the way that I was training, I, I felt that I had to change my whole thought process um, with, the, with the way that I was, you know, obviously with traditional training methods. Yeah and realized that the sport came first, even though I was a hobbyist, yeah. I still had to change the way that I had an approach towards training to, to even take up a sport as a hobby. Yeah. Um, and what happened is I obviously going through the process of being injured and working with clients, I started to develop a passion with helping athletes who was, were going through the same process yeah. and uh, wanting to get back to the sport that they love doing. Yeah. Um, you know, in the shortest amount of time possible, if that was the case, um, depending on how bad the injury was. And yeah, one thing led to another. I started meeting some great people along the way. Yeah. Uh, I started working with Isaac Michelle, um, you know, who's now dealing with some knee issues. Yeah. And me being a coach, I just have a passion for fixing things yeah. and wanting guys to uh, get back to doing what they love. Nice. So pretty gnarly story you were telling me earlier with Isaac Michel in his match before ADCC. Yeah. He fucked up his knees bad, yeah? Yeah, before so match. Yeah, so the story was from from what I heard, um, he was training the lead up um, into ADCC. He was training and he was passing someone's guard and he just felt his knee pop. Yeah. And his knee locked out and um, he did his meniscus and it sounded like a bucket tear. Yeah. And um, when his knee locked like that, he was knowing Isaac, he's trying to straighten his leg, which is probably the worst thing you could do. It's just, yeah, yeah, well, you're just trying to force, force it straight, straight away, and you could potentially make it worse. So um, he didn't take too much time off. He continued training. Yeah. And um, when he was here in Sydney, uh, in the lead up to the trials, I had him for two weeks and uh, he had, he couldn't extend the leg. He had, um, minimal knee extension and he had a lot of pain in knee flexion. So he was nowhere near 100%. So the way that he had to go into, um, he had to change his whole approach. He had to use a lot of wrestling heavy approach yeah, to yeah. minimize spending a lot of time on the ground and, and things like that. So- He had an exciting match with Wagner, man. Yeah, he that did. That was fucking exciting. Yeah, that was a grind, man. He was- um, Those guys went for it. Yeah, man, that, that Wagner, he's a fucking, he's a, he's a tough man. He's just, Savage. he's a durable, durable man. He, um, he was getting into some positions that, you know, from a strength and conditioning point of view, I was like, man, his spinal compression, the way <laughs> his, his head was between his legs, trying to, you know, shake Isaac off his back. And it, it was crazy. It was crazy to watch. But um, yeah, yeah I, was, I was surprised with how durable he was with hand fighting. Yeah. Wagner, like I've never seen, um, I've seen Isaac gassed, but especially in that overtime, it was wearing on him. I could see it. Um, and I think that that was good for Isaac, for him to, to go through that and to obviously experience that.
Tough match. Yeah, tough match. It's probably something he would never get in the gym. But, yeah. you know, from a um, competitive point, that was pretty, it's pretty good for him in his career. Yeah, yeah. I think they're doing a rematch in, in April. That'll be sick. Yeah, so they're going to have a rematch. And I think they got match of, match of the night. They did get match of the night. Yeah. Well so. deserved pretty good so I'd love to see Isaac at 100% health go yeah. against Wagner again and see how he he pulls up and see what what happens there I think he can beat him and it's not just because I work with Isaac I just think he's he's very young he hasn't reached his full potential yet yeah, yeah. Um, especially his excuse me his physical potential he's only what 23 24 so he's still he's still got a you know two or three years of really maturing into his body so i think um at least yeah at least two or three years, and yeah. we we only we're only touching you know we're only scratching the surface with his strength and conditioning work yeah he's still got a lot to to go with that and build a lot of consistency and stuff so um i work with him online and i train him two hours a week over whatsapp yeah. so he's he responds better to when i'm actually coaching him through the session yeah um, and he gets a better, obviously a better training, training experience through that. Um, he's not so good on the app, yeah. but uploading his results and yeah, stuff. Yeah. So that seems to be the best. For training guys like him, he's got lots of injuries. Are you just on damage control for him or are you, are you, is that, what kind of stuff would you program uh, for him? So for, he's going to be different to the average BJJ well, it, due to his injuries. It, cha it changes frequently. Reason being is let's say I mean, at the moment he's not competing, but yeah. if he goes in for a wrestle and he tweaks his knee, yeah. I'm like, oh fuck, all right, I've got to throw that session out and then I've got to start again. Yeah, yeah. So now we've, we've had a good chat and we've, we're gonna build some consistency with you know, time in the gym where we can actually build some progress and enhance performance. So I don't like using the term of rehabilitation, um, you know, things like that, I like to use, Basically what we do is we focus on performance and performance can be measured in many different ways. And I feel like um, focusing solely on the injury aspect um, is not the way to go about it. I feel like it, it makes an athlete feel like they're just broken and, and down and out. Um, we focus on building performance in other areas that are indirect and can work around that injury in, in, in um, that present time, but also do obviously specific work around those knees and getting them strong and healthy. Nice. So our approach towards training is basically our layout, depending on how his grappling's going, at the moment he's taking a lot of time off. So our structure is usually uh, one full body day, yep. one upper body day, and one lower body dominant day. Nice. And the days off in between, he'll either grapple or he'll grapple on those same days, depending on how he's feeling. Uh, there is a lot of conditioning work in there. So we'll do a lot of, um, in the off season, we like to do a lot of anaerobic lactate power stuff. So trying to get a lot of uh, unsustainable efforts out to build that engine. Yep. And then we'll do a lot of LSD work as flush out. So long, slow distance stuff on a, on a recovery day. Nice. And then we'll progress that as we get closer and through closer to a competition or we've got a date. Give uh, some examples of the anaerobic power stuff that you'd be doing. So for example, um, I like to use the air bike because uh, he can't run, he can't sprint or anything like that. I find that it's um, the, the, the best machine to use to elicit enough power to get the right dose response. So if you've got an athlete- for is, is the air bike. Yeah. Is the air, sorry, yeah, air bike, air dyne, air bike, yeah. yeah. So pretty much that's, 
the best bit of kit I found to use to create that, that right dose response. However, if you've got an athlete who hasn't built enough strength in the gym and you'll find that their intervals don't match the right dose that we're trying to achieve. Because so, they can't create the wattage, they don't have the power. Correct, yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. So what happens is when they don't have that power output and they can't produce that force, you'll see that their intervals will, let's say for example, they put out you know, 500 watts, right? for example, in their first 10 second interval, and their second uh, interval is say 600 watts, you can tell that they paced the first one or they didn't warm up or they didn't understand yeah, what yeah. was required um, in order for, for the actual effort and intensity in that. So it's basically balls to the wall, unsustainable work. Yeah. Um, and we do that once a week um, in order to focus on power output and nice. things like that. And you've got like a, what kind of rest ratios would you do for that? So I use a five to one, Nice. usually five to one. So we'll go on the minute, every minute, the first 10 seconds will be balls to the wall and you can progress that you can nice. you can add it one second to that and you can notice a big difference yeah, to that yeah, and yeah. also with your, with your rest intervals you can change that with that and you nice. can build that up um, then it starts going into lactate power endurance into, second, 20 second yeah, yeah you yeah. start going to the glycotic stuff where you start going into you know different things all your energy systems are working at once but one will be more more dominant than the other yeah. depending on on what you're trying to achieve nice um, and that's, that's what we do to give him, obviously, conditioning without, you know, getting him on the mat. So usually the sport, with most grapplers, right, a lot of the guys get their conditioning from just rolling, yeah. right? Um, doing indirect stuff will help, but managing that fatigue and that training with, with all, the, all their, you know, other commitments, it can overlap and be detrimental as well. So with him, he's not... You know, he's not working, he's a full-time athlete. Yeah. So you can do your double days, your, you know, your triple sessions in a day if you needed to. Because you know he's going to recover, he's going to eat the right things, he's going to do the right things. Exactly, so he's going to look fun. after himself in that time. He's going to sleep well, you hope so, and then, you know, do all the right things to, to do that. So at the, at the end of the day, we've got to think, you know, athletes are humans too, they have lives and they need that balance and that release and, um, you know, so we've got to work with, take that into equation with their training programs as well. Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting point, like, you're talking about indirect and, and direct work. Like I say to a lot of my athletes, look, your conditioning's good, but first of all, we need to get you fucking strong first, and that, uh, building your work capacity in the gym with strength work is gonna give you a good crossover to having more work capacity in the gym and any conditioning that you work on it's of course it's not going to be direct for jiu-jitsu but it's going to allow you to recover faster between bouts on the mat so yeah. it's just about creating like a greater work capacity so you can actually go to the to the to the, jit, to the jits mat work harder and recover faster of course yeah definitely that's the thing there is a big stigma around like um you know strength and conditioning for combat sport athletes is it detrimental to, to their performance on the mat? I think it's how you approach it and, and the systems that you use and, and the way that you, um, you know, design a specific program for that individual, that li their lifestyle, you need to take all that in yep. um, from a holistic point in terms of what does that athlete actually need to be you know, better on the mat, for example. So, yeah. um, What do you think most jiu-jitsu hobbyists need to focus on in terms of strength and conditioning? Man, to be honest, like building a base of relative strength and mo direct mobility work. Like if, you've, if you're a hobbyist and you've started jujitsu in your 30s, I can speak 
from, from my own personal experience from, from starting um, you know, freestyle wrestling um, when I was 32 and then snapping my Achilles and you know, you know, rupturing my, my elbow and all that kind of stuff. So um, yeah, I found that the biggest thing from first-hand experience of what I'm seeing is if you've come from a, a previous training background where you've put your body through hell, let's say, yeah, yeah. You, know, you've, you know, you've done some crazy shit in your younger years and you've decided to take up BJJ um, and you, know, you don't have a base of relative strength, that's something I would focus on in the gym first is actually building the basics through, through basic movement patterns such as hinging, squatting, pulling, pushing, you know, rotation, you know, working in multiple planes of movement, right? Because a sport's going to expose you to, to more than what you see in, in a controlled setting such as a gym. Yeah, yeah. Um, and if you can build a base layer and then you can start to carry that over to the mats, you're going to build more longevity in your training, but also, you know, minimize the potential risks of injury. You can't guarantee that you're never going to get injured. It's just, not, yeah. just the fucking, it's just how it is. Um, but, you know, you can definitely minimize that and also improve your, your experience on the mats as in not just improve um, your enjoyment on the mats from actually being stronger and actually performing better instead of, you know, getting manhandled and, you know, getting be, fucking yeah, yeah, tweaked be, and stuff. So, being more athletic is going to yeah, help. It's going it's it's, it's to stop you from getting, yeah, getting manhandled. It's, uh, it's a big thing as well. Like people are like, oh, you don't need to... You do need strength. Like the stronger you are, generally speaking, the the easier jiu-jitsu is going to be to a degree. Yes. Of course, it's very, of course it's very technical, and you need to understand the techniques, have good pacing and timing, and obviously technique efficiency. But if you're if you're athletic and fucking strong, first of all, you can practice the move more times, so you get more work done, and things are just going to be easier to to hit. Well, you're more durable, and that's the yeah. thing. Like it's a contact sport, and it it's designed. You're designed to break the opponent down. Yeah. Right? You're designed to either submit that opponent. Opponent, you know, you want to obviously in a competitive environment. You, you know, you're trying to not hurt the person, but you're trying to. Well, it is going to hurt when you're going through that, right? Yeah, but not maliciously. But hurt not maliciously, like, no. like the intense, not maliciously wanting to to fuck that person up. You just, <laughs> you know, you want to win, right? Yeah, and yeah. it's a contact sport, and you are going to be put in vulnerable positions where you're expected to produce force. Yeah, yeah. And that's where if you don't have that base and your body is exposed to that vulnerable position where you've never been before, yeah. and you're, you know, trying to, let's say, defend a single leg or, you know, defend, defend a leg lock or whatever it may be, um, that's where shit starts to go wrong. What about mobility, mate? Like, what, what are some, like baseline things that you would say people should be able to do in terms of mobility? Man, like, touch your toes. Yeah. That's number one. Like compression strength. Yeah. From standing or From seating. standing, being able to stand up with your legs locked, touch your toes. Like, Why is that important? I just think the compression strength, especially with BJJ, getting stacked, like someone stacking you and pushing those legs up, having, having that ability to be able to compress your spine and looking at the actual sport where I see, I see it a lot and I look at it and I'm like, fuck, if I was in that position, my back would just snap or do you know what I mean? Like, and then you're adding force to that. So that's probably one of the biggest things I see. It's, it's amazing when you, when you get athletes come in that, that struggle to be able to touch their toes. 
um, and you're like, all right, well, if we can enhance that compression strength and get them, you know, being able to stack their body better, yeah. it's definitely going to have a carryover to the mats. And this ability to like compress their core as well, core, was it flat, yeah, flexion and extension? Yeah, you'll get like the hobbyist who's a corporate worker who sits down uh, behind a desk for long periods of time and they're always, you know, hip hinging is the most difficult movement pattern for them predominantly. Yeah. Um, and what you find is their hamstrings are always feeling tight, right? right? And then when they go into a toe touch, they feel a restriction through their hamstrings and, and you know, their gastroc and stuff like that. And I usually find that just strengthening their hip flexors, getting them strong to be able to flex and compress their spine, without even stretching their hamstrings, I found was being a, was a great way to improve their toe touch. Wow. So yeah, I do a lot of work with um, Ranger Strength. Um, yeah, yeah. And he's, he's a great guy. I work with him personally, with myself. Um, I struggle with mobility. I always have. Um, and coming from, you know, going through CrossFit, powerlifting, being in the army, and then taking up combat sports, um, I found that mobility was, was the biggest limiting factor in my own personal training. So since working with him and working with um, a lot of combat sport athletes, you can, you can see that there's a, there's a big- There's um, a deficit. Yeah. And I'll be honest, man, like I've assessed a lot of guys, well, high level guys in Australia. And surprisingly, the tightest guy I've assessed you won't believe it, is Isaac Michelle. Was it? I was going to yeah. say Ethan, because everyone says Ethan. I assessed him and I'm like, I feel like I'm assessing myself. And really? it's, he's so technically um, gifted and the way that he moves, his style suits his body really yeah. well. So he's very dynamic. So you can probably get away with things being so dynamic and athletic. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think if we can enhance those mobility uh, qualities with him, he's just going to be a better athlete. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because sometimes like if it ain't broke don't fix it kind of thing you see some people like who is it uh michael phelps people are like oh he's got excessive kyphosis or lordosis whatever it's like man, it's a normal curvature of the spine yeah, right? yeah and also yeah. he's the fucking greatest of all time yeah ever it's like why are you going to try and fix that no yeah like but to a degree i think there's there's probably some certain checkpoints that some people should be able to achieve mobility wise that's going to enhance their jiu-jitsu yeah so toe touch I just, like squats. I just think it gives you more options, right? Yeah. Let's say, for example, um, I, I heard a great, a great podcast with, I think it was David Gray and um, I forgot the guy's name, Flexible or whatever his name is. Um, and one thing they said, and one thing that really stuck with me was the, the more range, access you have to range where you can produce force and be strong in those vulnerable positions, the more, more there's more than one way of doing one thing. Mm. So for example, let's say, you know, you can only shoot on one leg and take a single leg on that one side because you've got, you know, better hip flexion and you've got better hip extension on one side and you feel more comfortable. You're very limited to, to sh penetrating on that one leg, what for example, on right? Both? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Let's say the other side presents itself, and you need to be to have a balance on both sides, and you're competing in a sport. You have more options, and you have more options to to be a better athlete if you can access more range. Yeah. yeah. So, and that's why I, 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 that really stuck with me that point, and it was like, well, if you're if you've got those athletic capabilities, I can train you and I can show you a new move and he's gonna get it a lot easier than the guy who's stiff. 
Yeah, right? Because yeah. he can move himself in a better position. Exactly. And there's there's a few freaks in um, in the gym that I train at, at Compound Grappling. Um, one of the guys' names Adam, and um, he's a, he's an athletic specimen. The guys the guys flex. He can you know middle splits, front splits, very strong, dynamic. Never gets injured, hardly gets injured. Goes balls to the wall when he wrestles, and I, there's can pick up new techniques like that. And it's like, man, the way he just can pick something up and move, because there's no restriction, right? His body can just achieve that certain position, where you've got guys that lack lateral flexion, rotation. They can't compress their spine very well, so. You no know, chance for injury. Yeah, yeah well, interesting. Yeah. So yeah, sorry. Yeah, well, you're definitely going to um, increase the risk of, you know, being in, in a vulnerable position where you can't actually resist the force and you can, you know, potentially hurt yourself. Um, I'm all about like, you know, my neck doesn't bend too well, and you know, when I get, uh, I go in for a takedown, someone sprawls and pushes my head down, I feel it straight away, you know, yeah, and yeah. It's, they, these are all weak things and. At the end of the day, it's, you know, you can't fix it all, but you can obviously identify weaknesses and improve them to be yeah. a better athlete. Interesting point that you mentioned that Adam fella. He's like, I'm sure you've wrestled him, right? No, no I don't think I've wrestled him. <laughs> I don't think I have. I'd yeah. like to. Yeah. Um, we're going to go to West Sydney. Was it West Sydney? Sydney, Sydney West. Yeah, we're going to hit that next time. Probably the best grappling gym in, in Sydney. Shout out Sydney West. Yeah, nice. Sydney West. <laughs> um, versus... As an example, Isaac Michelle, who's got, I mean, more injuries than you can count to on the single hand. So, like, a lot of the stiffer guys do seem to get injured more often and more frequently than... Yeah. What about someone who's hypermobile? What do you think about that? Yeah, definitely. That's the same thing, right? So if you've got someone who's hypermobile that can't control the range, mm. it's just as bad as someone being stiff, right? Got it. But your approach to training would be different. Yes. in a way so you'd use a lot of isometrics you use a lot of tempo work because you want to build some tightness there you want to build some stability mm. um and that that would be obviously a different approach to someone who let's say you know needs more range and someone who needs more passive stretching you wouldn't get them to do much passive stretching in that yeah, sense yeah, yeah. that's a good job and uh, how much of a of role do you think passive stretching has for the for most folk for like the stiffer folks in in well, general would, I you think would you recommend quite a lot of that yeah definitely i think from um, a restoration point of view so i like to have a restoration day where i focus on weak links where i just sit on a, on, on a passive stretch to promote recovery yeah it's not going to really after, after training or before bed Pro it'd probably be like on a Sunday, uh, whenever you've got time, let's say it's a day off and you've got to spare 30, 40 minutes and you just want to get the body moving. Yeah. That's something that I would do. I'd like to do a lot of passive stretching on. Um, it's not too intense. It's not going to you know, take your joints to end range where you're trying to contract and you know, enhance mobility. You're just sitting through a passive stretch for things to make you feel good. But usually with uh, the mobility training that I do with my guys, I usually use passive stretching at the end yeah. of the session. So usually trying to sit into the deepest possible stretch or you know, achieve the best possible range through a passive, a passive stretch. Um, that's, that's what you work towards um, yeah. through that mobility session. And that final pose or that passive stretch is what 
what the, the final outcome is. Um, to some of our listeners, why would you think that passive stretching would not be good before you start training? Or before a weight session or before a jiu-jitsu session, doing too much passive stretching? How would that detriment someone's session? Look, I think it depends on the individual, nice. to be honest. Um, and I think, it, like for me, I could passive stretch all day and I'll have the best training session. Amazing. Like it feels great to me, right? And I think that there, there's been a dogma around, if you stretch before you train, you're going to be weak in your session and you're going to, you know, it's, it's, it's fucking bullshit, man. Yeah, yeah. Like, show me a fucking study on it. Show yeah. me a real study on that. Show me the injury link. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Like... I don't think that that's, you know, an issue. Like you go to, you go to, for example, you hit the mats, you go into a wrestling session. What's everyone doing? Stretching. Stretching yeah, or yeah. sitting in a pigeon pose or, you know, sitting Especially in a butterfly stretch. Yeah, you, you look at them and that's like in the, some of the Russians or even with, when we wrestle with Jacob, he yeah. spends time stretching out. You've got to, yeah, because, but not only from that, from a mental standpoint, if someone likes to do it because it makes them feel good, do it. Then do it. Don't take yeah, it away don't, from Yeah, them. exactly. Like, I don't think there's any harm in, in doing something that makes you feel good. But <clears throat> if there's, if you're spending, let's say, for example, 45 minutes on a, on a fucking lacrosse ball and a foam roller in order to feel good before you go in. There's um, something else going on. There's something on. else going on, right? Maybe this, you know, let's say you're in the gym and let's say the program you're following or the way you're executing your movements aren't right for you or at that present point there might be something going on there. But yeah. it's very rare that that's the case, right? We had a good chat earlier about, so obviously I've had, I've had some, uh, some history of some back issues. You think you've got, you've got quite a stiff spine as well about matching high intensity days together or as an example you gave, like say if you're doing like a heavy RDL or a heavy deadlift day, the impact that that will have on your training the next day I think that's that's a good point for some of some of our listeners. Like, if you have a if, a, if you have a big gnarly weight session, and then you go to jiu-jitsu the next day, or training, like, what what are the potential impacts on that, like, to your body? Yeah, definitely. That's a good question, man. And that's something that I I've, I've experienced firsthand as well. And um, it obviously, again, it's a case by case scenario depending on the client and obviously what their what their limitations are and what they need to prioritize. So. Um, my, my thought process on that is a number one, combat athletes aren't power lifters. Yeah. That, that's number one. Fact. It's a fact. But number two, it doesn't mean they, they, they don't need to be strong. They yeah. still need to be strong, relatively strong. The question is, how strong do they need to be, right? Mm. And what is, a, what is a good marker? There is no good marker, right? Because it's, it's, very, it's very specific to that individual. So you should be able to deadlift two times your body weight in order to be able to do, you know, fucking X, Y, Z and be an awesome athlete. Well, that's not true. I've got guys that, you know, are fucking trap bar deadlifting, you know, 100 kilos and are struggling. You put them on the mats and they'll fucking if throw I it fucking everyone. suplex you on your head, man. <laughs> yeah. they, they're fucking monsters yeah. on the mats, right? It doesn't translate. It doesn't always translate perfectly. No, but it is an indirect quality that trains a hinge pattern that, you know, that you will, let's say, for example, we're talking about the deadlift or trap bar deadlift, whatever an RDL, whatever it may be, um, it still has an indirect quality that needs to be trained because it will have a carryover to that sport. Yeah. Um, but in terms of that, yes, managing fatigue and managing your, your, your training load, I like to use RPE, rate yeah. of perceived exertion. The reason being it's a flexible training method 
that allows an athlete to go by how they feel. On the day. On the day, yeah. And these, the percentage-based shit, it's boring, it's too rigid, and it's not realistic. Especially but, not for jiu-jitsu No, athletes. because let, let's say, for example, and this always happens, right? I've got a few MMA guys that I train. They'll go in, they'll spar on a Friday, they'll come out and they go, fuck, I tweaked my knee. There's Mark. your training session out the window. Well, <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, it's like, all right, well, yeah. okay, well, we have an RPE of eight. Today, you know, a 40 kilo Zercher squat is going to feel like an eight for you. Um, and we may do a box squat to minimize, you know, knee flexion and hip flexion in that, that position to take the stress off the knee. Yeah. We might do pause rest, pause reps with a goblet uh, squat, right? To still hit the RPE, but a different, but, but a different yeah, way. Yeah, we might that. modify and go to a hip hinge on that day and, and things like that. So... It's all about trying to find that balance without taking away from the mats. The, the sport comes first yeah. and the strength and conditioning needs to complement that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's just the nature of the beast. And I've learned that the hard way and I've seen a lot of you know, athletes learn that the hard way as well. So I came, a lot of guys come into this not from a PT background lifting weights. They've come in from, you know. Just doing jets. Yeah, just doing jits no, no and then experience. and then employing the weights so they they already know that the weights come second. Yeah. Where someone like say you and I love lifting weight, yeah. um, you know, and probably me, I'm always like, oh, I love lifting weight. The weight will come first yeah. for <laughs> But it just now it's more like okay, instead of. I'll choose movements that feel better on my body to, to complement the sport in a way where I'll choose a landmine over, you know, a, a bilateral overhead press because yeah, yeah. my shoulder flexion is pretty limited. So I'll go with a unilateral approach and use a landmine. Yeah. I'll use a top-down approach with, with a hip hinge. I'll use an RDL um, or I'll use a trap bar setup. It just, it just feels better on my body. Yeah, yeah. You put me on a conventional deadlift, and you expect me to wrestle the next day, no chance, right? So it's all about choosing um, the right exercise variation for you um, in order to get the biggest bang for your buck so that it doesn't take away from your experience and time on the mats. Such a good point. I mean, as Owen and Flanagan, as an example, when we first started, we were, we were fucking around with some conventional stuff and he's like, this is killing my lower back. So he swapped to sumo no problem at all it just creates just gets those hips closer to the bar unless you're a competitive power lifter or an olympic weightlifter, there's no bad exercises out there but you don't need to be breaking the weight off the floor in a conventional stance mm. all you could do is elevate the bar you know three to six inches off the ground and do block pulls yeah. right and shorten that range where where the lift seems to go wrong in a conventional deadlift is a setup majority of people don't have access to adequate range and strength in that bottom position. So utilizing a top-down approach and, and eccentrically loading yourself into that end range position is a safer choice. But also you can wow, add more weight great. to the bar. Yeah, you can walk it out from a rack and you're starting in, a, in, a, in an eccentrically loaded position going down instead of putting yourself um, in a position where you, you're actually in a sheep position to produce force. Yeah. So it's interesting, isn't it? Some people, like, like you said, it's a lot of this is case by case. Some athletes come in and I'll, I'll, I'll conventional deadlift them all, but like Fion. Exactly. She, she's yeah. such a start at conventional deadlifting. Yeah. Like it's Flanagan, long torso, just a disaster for you. Yeah. <laughs> Sumo, no problem. 
Mate, especially, you know, at the end of the day, like, you can, like, you, there's nothing wrong with, there's no bad exercises, let's make that clear. There's, yeah. there's no shit exercise out there. I just think there's a poor understanding of exercise prescription, execution, and loading management. Mm. That's the three biggest things that I think I see um, a lot of stuff on social media go wrong with athletes. Um, particularly with, like, for example, the combat athlete is not a power lifter, but if they can access that range and they're safe in that position, why not load it? All means, yeah. You know what I mean? There's no harm in that. I like to anterior load my guys a lot. I like, particularly in a squat, I like to place the bar in front of their body. That's what anterior loading means? In front Correct, of yeah, so the bar placed in front of your body. You've got you know, your zercher positions, your front, front squats. Um, you've got your goblets. You've got your double kettlebell front racks. You can get creative with it. Um, I find that guys, especially in BJJ, need to train full range squats. They need to get into deep hip flexion and hip internal rotation, yeah. which is what's, what's required to get a deep squat. And it's a, they're going to find the, themselves in those positions on the mat, if like not, not way fucking worse. Essentially, that's your guard position. If you think about you're on yeah. your back, you're on guard, and you, try, you get trying to get your knees to the chest, that's a deep squat. That's pretty. That's pretty good hip flexion you got there. That's pretty good. <laughs> but that's that's a deep squat. You yeah. need to be able to. But they're also like in that position, and you're producing force. Like you're actually internal and, and external. Yeah, from and there. you've got guys yanking on it, right? So, for example, like let's say you've got a sing someone's got your single leg, and then you post to the floor, you push the head down, the hips in internal rotation. Say he starts pulling your foot out this way, away from your body. It's all going through the hip until the hip runs out of range. It then goes through the knee, ah, right? Yeah, yeah. So then having adequate hip internal rotation will take the pressure off your knees in some points. But if you're in a leg lock, most of the rotation comes from here where they're, they're, they're fucking cranking it. And that's a different it, story it's a because the, 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 lock, the it's, foot's locked off. Yeah, tibial rotation. And you can't, like, that's just just tap at that point. <laughs> Leave your ego at the door and save your knees. Like there's no point, yeah, yeah. you know, depending if you're, you know, a world champion and you're, you know, you're going, you know, for the ADCC fucking, you know, world championships, different story, right? Yeah. You might risk it. But at but the gym, no, no way. No way, yeah. You're not gonna win in training, I guess. It's more just, you know, being able to have, knowing when to tap and yeah, leaving yeah. that ego at the door. I saw a good match, fucking, like, literally on the weekend, uh, Phil Hawes. I don't know if anyone, I don't know if you watched the UFC. Yeah, I love, love UFC. Man, the guy got caught, um, fuck, so... Is this the guillotine you're going to talk about? No, no, it wasn't the guillotine. The guy got caught in a leg lock. It was weird. He was against a Georgian guy. And the guy was like, fuck, can't demonstrate it, but... So he basically had his single leg here and he was down and the guy, the Georgian guy had him in a leg lock and had his ankle. And what he was doing, he actually pulled on it, forced his hip into internal rotation to the point that he ran out of range and then it just cranked his MCL. Fuck. Cranked it and then he stood up, he collapsed. He ended up getting knocked out because he was compromised by his knee. But I just saw it and I was so fascinated by it because I literally just put an Instagram post about wow. adequate hip internal rotation. So yeah, backside 50-50, both busted. Pretty much, yeah. MCL. It looked like he's, I don't know exactly the, the extent of the injury, but it looked like in that position his MCL went. 
and um, he instantly got up and it was compromised and fell to the floor and then he got knocked out. Yeah. Um, MMA's a different beast. Oh, fuck, man. I, I, look, honestly, I'm not... At that point, I'd be like, just fucking throw in the towel. What's the <laughs> point? Like, is it worth him getting knocked out? He's not going to defend himself effectively. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if he's really going to ever, like, win the fight with a compromised knee. I so. feel like there should be more towels thrown in, in the UFC. Do you ever yeah. watch Alex, Alex Smith? Um... What's his name? Yeah, Alex Smith versus Glover Teixeira. Oh, man. That was the most brutal fight I've ever seen. Oh, my God. I've ever seen. That was brutal. Some of the, yeah. He's just getting his head kicked in. They're fucking different beasts, man. The MMA fighters, they're just, like, they're just, the way they just break down their opponent and the stuff they go through. Like, Pain levels, bro. Pain levels. Yeah, man. Another, another great, another knee injury you saw was, um, Calvin Cater. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, he went for that knee, landed, and it's... T- so what, what happened? happened so what I gathered from it, what I thought happened, he went for the knee and the guy moved. So he's, he's facing and then he's that gone angle. And he's faced and tried to, like, turn, and he's landed in a, in, a, in a compromised position, and his knee just fucking went under him. Looked like he did his ACL from that oh. point. And then you just see there was no, there That's was no nothing gift. there. There was nothing. He went to step back on it and it just fucking went underneath him again. Same point, like, I think you see that happen. Like, a doctor should go in, assess the knee and go, right, man, you've got no AC, you've just blown your ACL, man. Like, is it worth it? Like, are you really going to fucking be able to fight this guy yeah. to the best of your ability and win this fight? Probably not. Live to fight another day yeah. instead of creating more damage and potentially, you know, fucking getting a full knee replacement. The tricky and thing is, these guys are savages. If you remember uh, Kurt Angle went for the, in the Olympic Games, broke his neck. Fuck. He broke his neck in the final, finished the final, won gold medal. Fuck. But I mean, he's compromised for life now. He's fucking had major atrophy of onside, can't probably struggles to sleep at night yeah, with his man. neck. Yeah, he's, he got, his gold. he's got the biggest neck, man, I've ever seen. But yeah. like he's, you see it, like the, the atrophy, the nerve damage that, that's happened and he can't, you know, the atrophy in the arm's quite significant, but he's, wrestlers are savages, man. They're freestyle wrestlers. Different beasts. Yeah, same, same like that grind that they have yeah. and the fucking, the Hard athleticism, time. I reckon, you can, you know, get a freestyle wrestler and, and you can train them up and, and they carry over to, to striking and MMA, that, that mindset and that um, pedigree that they built for all those years in their, you know, younger years of wrestling. I think that they can do any other sport they could carry over, like gymnasts, right? Yeah, gym, yeah. It's because you're gymnasts as well because they've got, they know how that grind works. If you look at an elite level gymnast, the grind that they put in oh, when yeah. they were younger, but also just their like kinesthetic awareness. Kinesthetic awareness meaning like their body awareness is just insane. Insane. If you could, if you could ever in your life, whether you're younger or older, get to a point where you could do an iron cross holding yourself out Fucking horizontally yeah. or doing even a planche, you're going to be strong for life. Definitely. And one thing that I did know with some of the wrestling coaches was like, if you, anything you do, do gymnastics. Like do gymnastics as a base and transition into wrestling. You know, building that end range strength again, that mobility, like I said, like going back to what we spoke about before, more range equals more options. Minimize your risk of injury, but also being strong in that end range. Excuse me. So for, like, for example, when you, like when kids take up wrestling, 
they build they, those tendons and the ligaments and the muscles, the flexibility. It's something that they can maintain for the rest of their lives. And you, you see guys like in their 50s that, um, I don't know if you know Lenny from Sydney Uni, um, he runs wrestling classes. He's been wrestling like majority of his life. And, you know, he'd be close to 50 now, right? And the way that he moves at 50, like That's he sad. fucking moves better than, than, you know, me, easily me, like I'm like a tin man compared to him. Yeah, yeah. But they've just got that, that athleticism and that durability that they built up as kids. And you can just see it in their, you know, when they, when they get older in their wrestling, it's just like, like for example, Jacob, you can just bend him and twist him in any position and the guys, it's fucking good. fine, yeah. It's interesting. I, I was on the gymnastics bodies program for a while, and I fucking loved it. I did it for two years. Yeah. Could, could hold a planche for like five seconds. Wow. Could do like muscle ups or whatever, handstand really well, almost do like a horizontal back press. So you could handstand, go down to like the end, like yeah, a bottom planche yeah, 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 and then nice. push back up. But that, the strength, I felt like the strength that I got from that and the, the how that strengthened my tendons and ligaments. I want to ask you about this as well, because Chris Summers talks a lot about how long it takes tendons and ligaments to grow and repair. The impact, the positive impact that that will have to the rest of your training career, which I guess you just spoke about. I like, think, I think, as you get to like when you're fully grown, I think that gets harder and harder to to achieve. Yeah. It's definitely not impossible, but I mean, I can talk like from being 25 to you know to being 36 now there's a big difference in my training load, the way I approach training. Um, I almost feel like a bitch in a way because I just can't do what I used to do in terms of that. And Why is that? I mean, obviously... Muscle atrophy at a certain point? No, not that. I think, honestly, like what you've done in your previous years, um, I was a concreter for four years. Yeah. I was bending over, I've got two bulging discs from being fucking concreter all my life. Um, well, for the first, you know, since I was 15 to 20. And then, you know, 21 going into the army. And I was a rifleman in the army, I was a gunner. I'd be pack marching, you know, for, for days on end with, you know, staying out in the bush for, for a month or so. Um, you know, as a machine gunner, jumping on the ground with a 20, 30 kilo pack on your back crawling through the bush and you know you, it's fun at the time and you know you don't you don't feel the niggles and then beats you up man oh yeah falling in potholes and rolling your ankles and you know then getting out of that and then going into crossfit and competing at a regional level in crossfit yeah. and then you know doing fucking abundance of shitty reps with bad form <laughs> under fatigue yeah, yeah. um you know tearing the labrum labrum in your shoulders from doing too many snatches and missed snatches under fatigue and Fuck. stuff it's yeah, it's horrible. And then going into a, a contact sport, it's the same, you know. Contact so you, sport is unforgiving. Yeah, yeah, yeah you've got to put the brakes on and just go, right, okay, let's start, you know, focusing on the basics and building up again and and training in a way that, that suits you well. So, um, you know, I'm not trying to compete in wrestling or anything like that. I do it more from, from a fitness and mental health point of view in terms of that I get a lot of satisfaction out of that yeah. um, more than I get out of you know being in the weight room and, and lifting weights yeah. so um, that's that's pretty much why I do it and yeah it's very very satisfying for me to do that yeah yeah and that point I'm sure a lot of guys are out there that probably you know do it for the mental health yeah the mental health benefits and um, I'll never forget I did this course um, 
and one of the one of the guys that was coaching the course said there was um, I don't know how true it is. There was a direct link between PTSD and grappling, and a lot of guys in the military force who were coming out were getting into grappling and using it as part of their therapy in wow. terms of dealing with PTSD and stuff like that. It's interesting. I was on my mate's podcast earlier, and we just literally spoke about this exact point. Like, yeah, right. For for grappling it's like you hit it on all points you get the eye contact so you get the oxytocin release you get the fucking human connection because you're like you're, you're in contact with someone you get the community yeah you get the progress of like you get the feeling of like personal development yeah like you're learning and progressing a skill if you're doing the gi there's a belt involved so there's more progression you see yeah. the progression 100 all these positive things around you definitely that you can like link onto so it's easy to see how people get like hooked and addicted to it exactly man and, and not only that it's like at the end of the day, being in a vulnerable position where someone's trying to, to, to beat you and, and obviously take you down, and it brings out... Um, All kinds of emotions. Yeah, and it's also like uh, a sense of achievement. Even though you may lose, it doesn't matter. You're putting yourself in a situation you're not comfortable with, and then you're learning to be comfortable in that situation. Yeah, yeah. And that's where I find the beauty of it. I like to, to test myself being uncomfortable and go, all right, this scares the shit out of me a little bit. I'm scared of getting injured. Yeah, yeah. Like that's my biggest fear. But if I go with the right guys and I can start to overcome that and be more comfortable with that, it's, it's very rewarding. It's a beauty, beauty of training with some of like the high level guys that they, they'll put you in like, if you're in bottom position and they get you to a position called like the dark room, where hands over the head, there in top mount, and you're like, I actually can't breathe here. Like, you can breathe, but you need to chill out. Yeah. It's like if they get like close to S mount, both hands are elevated, the chest is on your face. It's smothering. Like, you yeah. shouldn't. You shouldn't technically tap to that. It's not a tap. Like, but you need to figure it out. You need to like compose yourself because like, if, especially if you're claustrophobic, you're like, holy fuck, I can't. There's nothing I can do here. My arms are above like my head, down top of me. I'm suffocating. Yeah. But it's like. You just need to calm down. And like being able to like calm yourself down in that position. That's a great point. It's fucking massive. Yeah, that's a great point. I think I've seen Gordon Ryan do that. He fucking smothered some guy. I was like, yeah. he's gonna tap here. He's yeah. Gonna... And um, he looked really uncomfortable for the guy. He was just smushing his face into the ground. And I'm pretty sure he would have had a hard time breathing. So Charles, is, Charles Negramonte, our friend, is, uh, he's king at that. He's very, he's good cooking people. Right. So if you look, like, same for Roger as well. Owen's very good at it too. I mean, a lot of, a lot of grapplers are good at it. Like, if you, if, you, if you wanted to bully someone in the gym, that's your move. You want to dark room someone. Right. Because that's really going to push them to the edge of their fit. Like, like you don't want to sub them a bunch of times. You yeah. just get them in top mount or, like, even, like, half guard, crush, chest to chest pressure, put their arm over their head and just keep them there. But it's also good tactics. It's got, like, like I said, cooking people. If you look at how Gordon Ryan um, is exhausting his, his opponents, he's not just he, he's he's not just trying to pass guards straight away. It's called the J, like J point passing. He did a recent thing called camping at the J point. So say like if you get the pass, you keep the hand on the one one forearm just across their hip. The yeah, other one's yeah. trying to get the knee pass, yes. and it's like you're in this tripod downward pressure. All they can do is frame. If you look yeah. at where he was with Pena, he doesn't care too much about getting the pass there. He'll happily like Pena will get the foot back, get stance back up, tripod, get to the J point. 
Felipe gets his foot back, cool, stand back up, get to the J point. You're just exhausting these frames here. Yeah. Eventually you're gonna get a mechanical breakdown. Yeah. Same for like pass. If you can get like, as soon as you get top to top, top uh, chest to chest pressure, boom, stay there. Try and elevate the arm, just cook them. Cause if mm. you just start cooking, cooking someone in that position, you're hollering them there, they're gonna get fucking tired cause they're gonna try and be yeah. getting out of here. They're like, oh fuck, like I yeah. can't see, I can't breathe. Keep them there. And they're going to give up position. They'll give you something. Out. They'll give you something. That's <laughs> it. You hope so, right? They'll give you something or they'll get fucking tired. Fucking, he makes it look so easy, Gordon Ryan, man. He's I'm a freak, yeah. Fucking hell, man. He's honestly like, I've never seen anyone make it like look that easy. And I think he's just ahead of his time. Yeah. He really is. I mean, some of the stuff, the way I can see why some people, you know, would, would not like him by some of the stuff he posts and things sure. like that. But he can back it up, man. You got to respect him for that. Been good for the sport. Yeah, definitely. And um, you know, like I, I've always been a fan of freestyle wrestling and stuff. And and I only got recently more into BJJ when I started working with BJJ athletes. Yeah. So I started doing a couple of BJJ classes, and it's really hard to find um, a, a nice class with, with good coaching um, here in Sydney. Yeah. Um, I find it really Unless hard. You go west. Unless you go out west and you you know you you look at you know Sydney West, they're breeding some animals through there, and I think that a lot of the high level guys are starting to commute that way and make the travel there, and because they're getting the training that they need to be better athletes. Fair play. You know, so I mean, from a, from a fundamental point of view, um, you know, I've done a few classes at Inner West Grappling, which is not too far from my gym, and they're great. Um, I got to work with a guy, Paul. Um, he was really good. His coaching was, was good. I did learn a bit and I started to take up a bit more of it to understand what my athletes are what going through yeah, yeah. and what their needs are and the positions that they're going to get into and how does it feel. And, yeah, and, if you need yeah. an S&C coach for Jets, you need to have a good fundamental understanding. An of understanding of what your athlete's going to go through so you can program and understand the characteristics of the sport. 100%. And I think that it doesn't mean that you need to be a world champion grappler to train a world champion of grappler no. in, in the strength conditioning of point of view. Not. But I think if you love the sport and you, you understand it and you're curious about it um, and you take part in it, even if you're a hobbyist, I think you can offer a lot more value than someone who just sits back on the sidelines thinking they know how to program for yeah. a combat sport athlete. I would say for strength, for any strength coaches listening who want to start working with jiu-jitsu athletes, you need to have a, a good understanding of what are, what are the needs that people, that your jiu-jitsu athletes need. It's but like having a good understanding of, okay, what does it feel like to be at the bottom position? Where, where is my strength actually coming from? Because yeah. a lot of it is, is, is a lot of core flexion and bring that, that knee flexion. Yes. If, you're, if you're on bottom half card position, and you, 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 can, you can create a good frame and you can start pulling people towards you with a leg clamp position or getting that knees to chest and start getting some good rotation through the core, as mm. an example. You wouldn't, you wouldn't understand that unless you had a good feeling for it or you had a very watchful eye and you can be like, okay, okay I see what's, exactly what's going on here. That's but, exactly right. And I, I think that, that that's a very good point. And that's why when I started to delve into the sport, even though you know doing it two, three days a week is not a lot, but... I did start to realize your hands are first point of contact. Yeah. Right? Grip. Grip. No one's training their fingers, right? Your fingers are the often, like, they're often neglected in most training programs. A lot of guys will do a lot of wrist work and stuff like that, but 
your grip plays a big part, especially in the gi. If you're using the gi a lot, your fingers are going to get torn to shreds. So, you know, the, those little things, obviously your neck is a non-negotiable, right? Your neck's going to, people are going to be swinging off it. They're going to be, you know, cranking it in, in certain positions. And, you know, they're, they're things that you can't avoid. Like you have to train that in a gym. Like yeah. with a combat athlete, if you're not doing any neck specific work, you, you know, you, you're just, you're an idiot. I'm sorry, but you are. Like, <laughs> you should be doing your fucking neck work. Like, when what, you can. What are some good network stuff? That, that Man, you, depends. Like, if like, obviously, like, there's a lot of things about people saying wrestlers bridges a lot of compression through the cervical spine, but at the end of the day, you're going to find yourself in that position where you're going to have to bridge off your neck in order to stop yourself from getting pinned. Um, you know, and you need to be strong with your neck, you know, like people are going to be snapping you down. You're going to be driving your head in for position for single legs. Your head controls can control their body and you use it a lot. Yeah. So your neck needs to be resilient and strong and robust. Um, a lot of the exercises, like a lot of the stuff you do in wrestling where you will do your wrestling bridges as, as movement prep before you go in to, to re wrestle. They're, the warm-ups are very intense. I love that because, you know, I want to be sweating, dripping in sweat before I go into, into be, wrestle because be it's warm. so dynamic. Yeah, yeah. And, um, it also <clears throat> loose, loosens you up to a degree. It gets your muscles nice and Well, up, yeah, like and it, it gets your central nervous system firing. You're ready to, to, to be into a, a contact situation, yeah, yeah. right? And um, I find that you minimize the risk of injury by doing that but also you're enhancing qualities to be better at the sport because you know, by bridging on your neck, posting on your neck, you're gonna find yourself in that position as well. Yeah. So in a gym setting, how would, how would I approach that? So obviously I wouldn't go in and, and do wrestling bridging all the time, right? I would mix it up with isometric contractions. So obviously moving the neck through flexion, extension, you know, you've got lateral flexion and you've got rotation as well. Yeah. I train all planes of movement in the gym, yeah. right? And I would train them isometrically. I train them eccentrically and concentrically as well through that. Nice. And there's I've, there's a lot of stuff I put up. Um, put up a post the other day. Yeah, the other day oh, on yeah. on. I mean, there's only snippets of. There's so many things you can do, right? Yeah, but yeah. You, you got to. You need to make it fit keep within it simple. That yeah, as within well. that session exactly. And you can progress it, and you can you can add variety in there and expose the athlete to different stresses and things like that as well. So, um, yeah, one of the things I do like, if you've got access to it, is using a harness and using um, a sled, yeah. right? And dragging yourself through resisting extension, then you're resisting lateral flexion, and then you're resisting flexion, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but when you're dragging a sled, the pressure's not consistent. The sled will pull you off and act and like you a- You've got to wait for the step here. Yeah, wait for the step, and it can, it can mimic more of you know, a, a perturbation, if you, if you would say, yeah. where, where someone, you're resisting force as well, and you know, not only resisting extension, but it may throw you off step, and, the, and it's not constant. Yeah, so, interesting. Yeah, utilizing a sled, um, a sled yeah, such a versatile tool that you can you can train your neck with it if you've got the space and you just clip a harness to it and you and you go for gold. That's a good point. You're also getting frontal plane work by using the, the lateral sled as well, which is extremely important for for combat sports such as frontal plane, transverse plane, and things like that. So yeah. training that in a gym is is pretty good. One thing that I will say we should touch on is plyometrics. 
plyometrics for the combat athlete. Even though you see BJJ, a lot of guys are on the ground and you're spending a lot of time passing guard and trying to mount someone. You're always starting on your feet, yeah. right? And Unless more and more, the, yeah. <laughs> well, more and more these days, you see guys more more graffiti state from more exchanges from the feet yeah yeah they're, they're not pulling guard as often these days and they're more in tune with their wrestling and they're, they're actually going for you know being more aggressive on their feet and looking for the takedown in that dominant position and, yeah. and going from there especially in nogi and um what you see like a lot of it is you you do need to produce a lot of force into the ground to be explosive and to generate force in a takedown. Mm. Um, Nicky Rod, he's as you can see, he's quite dynamic and yeah. quite explosive, and he plays that game same as Isaac, right? <clears throat> Doing a lot of low tier plyometrics, such as a lot of pogo variations getting that uh, elasticity through the, the lower limb and also building that foot and ankle stiffness is a great way of building a base to, to have that plyometric capability of producing force into the ground. On demand. And it doesn't have, like you said, it doesn't have to be like big box jumps or big broad jumps, just having it can, a good, it, it can be. It can, it yeah. Well, you should progress to that essentially, right? Because you want to, you want to be able to produce large amounts of force with minimal ground contact time. So um, a guy that I, um, plus plyos, um, yeah. you should look into him. Any coach that's looking to um, enhance their knowledge on plyometrics, look Check up plus guy. plyos, man. He's, he's a gun. The way that he explains, obviously, if you've read Mel Sif, Super Training and stuff, it's a very... Um, that's a hard book to read. It's a fucking read. hard book to that's read, man, book. and it's... I mean, you, I know there's a lot of nerds out there and a lot of, a lot of bookworms and stuff, and I tried reading it back to back. It's hard, man. And it, it's fucking mind-numbing, but there are a lot of good points out there. And Vereshenky, the, the Russian guy, I don't know how to say his name. I don't know how to say his fucking name, but... Yeah, yeah. Chad Wesley Smith talks a lot about this guy. Yeah, yeah he's, he's a gun, man. Like, a lot of the stuff, a lot of the, the Louis Simmons, the West Side Barbell, a lot of that was was implemented from this from from his methods you know your, your your max effort days your dynamic effort days and stuff like that and he he puts up um a good framework around plyometrics but he kind of leaves it very broad where there's a lot of loopholes yeah. and it's a bit outdated room for misinterpretation yeah and and the and plus plyos does a great disc uh a great description of the missing links in that and understanding the six phases of plyometrics. Sick. And um, I think plyometrics are very underutilized with combat athletes. Yeah, yeah. And I think that utilizing plyometrics, hey man, like if you're an athlete who's um, coming back from an injury and you're not having a sound plyometric program to carry you over back onto the mats, you're missing half half the link like it, you're 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 cutting yourself short man you've got to you've got to be doing the work in there you've got to build a base with plyometrics and then you've got to start incorporating more intense variations with that this is definitely something i want to cover you maybe, maybe we'll um because we're a bit short for time now on our yeah. next maybe when i'm back we'll do another one definitely man on about and this is something i want to 
kind of create or like maybe could co-create like a return to play if you think about like rugby afl return to sport protocol return to sport protocols yeah maybe there's we'll touch on that in another podcast definitely man there's a lot of good coaches out there that are doing that with their field-based athletes yeah and there's heaps of coaches doing that at the moment but it's not for bjj or combat sports really well i mean there might be a few that we haven't heard of and we, i don't really know their systems but I know that I utilize uh, a return to sport protocol here and yeah. then it's never set in stone because it's always changing with the athlete. Yeah. You know, nothing, never really stuck to a program, always something that's changed. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there is a certain base and plan and template that you do need to adhere to in order to, to get that athlete back to back a safe stage. A certain markers they need to hit right like there is certain things that we need to look at can you do this if you can't handle this you're not going to be able to handle full contact yeah and and there there has to be some structure and principles there that you need to to to. adhere to yeah because you know then i guess what what structure do you have right like uh, you're probably doing it without even knowing that you're doing it yeah yeah within your training so it's so key man yeah definitely mate where can um where can we find you? So on uh, Mate, Instagram or so, the gym? Yeah, coach, coach underscore Steven Sayun. You can find me there. Um, if you're in Sydney, um, we've just opened a new gym. Yeah. So Primal Strength and Conditioning is the name of it. We're located in Camperdown. Nice. Um, you got an online BJJ strength yeah, conditioning so, plan as well? Yeah, so basically I've got Build the Basics 101 is uh, an entry level strength and conditioning program for the combat sport athlete or hobbyist um, who's looking to just enhance their performance and indirect qualities off the mats. Uh, It's a six week program. Um, You get video descriptions of the exercises. You get access to me for six weeks of that program. Yeah. And then, um, yeah. Should have put that phone on silent. (laughs) Well, nice man. No worries. Mate, great having you on. Thanks man, thanks for having me. Let's get this again with the uh, return to play. Definitely man, sounds good. Cheers guys.